What does love for God look like? And what does it look like for me? And what does that love for God look like to others? Well, welcome to the Bible Studies for Life adult podcast, co-hosted each week by Chris Johnson and myself, Lynn Pryor. And these are actually some of the questions I want us to touch on this week as we continue in this study called Living Life Connected to Christ. Joining Chris and me for this podcast is Dr. Ron Brown. Uh, Ron is the uh, writer for each week, week in, week out of the commentary that is a part of the Herschel Hobbs commentary series. Ron, thank you for joining Chris and I for this podcast. That's my privilege, Lynn. Chris, glad to be with you again. Hey, this is your second time with us, Ron. I'm looking forward to having a conversation. Yeah, with you it today. is. You know, I, I tell people I've, I've, I've driven by churches and I've said, you know, I preached there one time <laughs> <laughs> with one being kind of the operative word that I never got asked back. So, hey, the fact that you've asked me back for at least a second time, uh, uh, I consider that a privilege. So thank That's you. awesome. That's awesome. So we've just started this study on uh, being connected to Jesus and how to do that. And it, uh, the focus of the passages are from Jesus' final discourse to his disciples found in John chapters 13 through 16. And so I uh, had a young guy writing for us, Brandon. We, talk, we had a chance to have him with us last week in our podcast, and we'll have him again in a couple of weeks. Um, but uh, looking forward to, to having this conversation, we're going to talk about Judas today. And uh, one of the comments that Brandon made was, Nobody names their kids Judas. Nobody names their dog Judas. It's just not a popular name. Is that right? <laughs> I've uh, never known anybody named Judas, you guys. I think that's a fair statement. The interesting thing is it, it, it wasn't an unusual name in, at that time. I mean, you know, Jude or Judas, they are kind of variations of the same thing. But uh, he sure ruined that name as far as uh, <laughs> the rest of us are concerned. So as we look at this, uh, this account out of the uh, Jesus's last discourse with his disciples, and we are going to hit upon the, 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 the conversation he had with Judas. But here's what we're driving to is, is this idea of the connection to Christ. It really calls for a consistent loyalty, uh, which we know Judas did not show. But let's just jump in here. If it's all right, guys, this, we're going to be in John 13. Uh, when you get to verse, verse 21, this is when Jesus turns right around and makes this comment where he says, truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. So I've, I've known you guys for a long time. We've been in a lot of meetings together in our uh, work at Lifeway. I, I don't recall if I ever was in a meeting where uh, the leader started the meeting with, okay, one of you guys is going to betray me. <laughs> That's right. That, that would sure set the tone for the meeting, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. You kind of be a big downer. Yeah. Well, what, what, what's fascinating about this in this passage is when Jesus makes that comment, they're kind of like, well, well who is it? And they even begin to wonder, is it me? Because it's funny. I think about that, Chris. If, had we been in a meeting like that and someone said, You're, uh, one of us, you guys is going to betray me, I wouldn't question myself. It's not me. But here is the disciples. I mean, they just really want to be sure Jesus wasn't talking about them. Yeah, the whole dynamic of looking around and saying, who, who could it be? Um, I, I think we've maybe been in some meetings where we knew that somebody um, – Somebody goes unnamed for something that they have said or done, but you know, not to this degree. And and I think if if you don't know, there is that kind of who's in the room <laughs> who might have done that. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, what intrigues me about this, if, if I can interject that, is, is the fact that the text says that Jesus was troubled in his spirit, or, you know, he was distressed, agitated, no. perplexed. Because what you, what I see here is, it's kind of the, it's the whole mystery of the way John's gospel is put together. But did Jesus, was this something new to Jesus? How do you, uh, how do you reconcile Jesus and his, his divine knowledge and this agitation that's taking place uh, that is more of his human spirit. But I think that's what John does, is that John is always lifting up kind of the mystery of the divine, but he is juxtaposing that with this, uh, this idea of, you know, of, of the, the human Jesus. And so, you know, Jesus had been trying to set the kind of set the stage for this thing for a long time. I mean, this wasn't the first occurrence of raising the issue that right. something bad is going to happen and of even suggesting it, it occurred, in, I think, in the previous chapter or earlier in this chapter, Jesus had alluded, we've, we've, got, we've got a traitor in the midst here, is, <laughs> is in essence what he was saying. And so he was aware of it. Uh, but at the same time, that awareness was not something that he would dismiss by saying, oh, this is just all part of the plan. Uh, it still was uh, something that troubled him, disturbed him. And it's interesting to, for me to think, okay, so why was he so disturbed about something that he knew was going to take place? Yeah, I think one of the things that we, we lose sight of or don't always take into account when we look at uh, Judas and, and his story and how significant it was that he betrayed Jesus was that if he, if he kept the money, uh, if he was holding the purse, if he was the treasurer, uh, which John alludes to, then he was, he was highly trusted as a part wow. of, of the 12. No, no one was wondering, we don't get the impression, you know, John alludes to the fact Kind of after the fact, you say, "Well, he, you know, he, he was sneaking a little." But I, I don't think at the time. I think this the, the same kind of shock that we experience when we hear that someone that we is highly valued or trusted, or someone in the financial community who has been accused of of uh, taking money um, or stealing from the company. I think we're always surprised, you know, if the local PTA treasurer is stealing money, uh, if someone who was taking care of the funds for, uh, for someone who was, uh, collecting money because they were sick. When we hear that, that, that someone has, um, has stolen money like that, we're, I think we're always shocked. And I, I think we, we lose some of that, um, in, in this whole story about Judas. That's true. I think <laughs> had it been Matthew, the former tax collector, people may not have been surprised. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that's just his character. Uh, but you're right. It is Judas. And uh, the fact that he, Judas was not even on their radar, as we kind of picture this, they're looking around the room, they're looking around the table and even begin to wonder about themselves. Let me point out, though, and, and Brandon Hiltabottle does this in what he writes that, you know, Judas obviously betrayed Jesus, but he wasn't the only one. 
We do know that we see Peter. We'll talk about more about this in the next session. Uh, but, but, but Peter ultimately ended up denying. That's a betrayal there. And even at the, at the arrest of Jesus, uh, you see this in verse 56 of this passage. All the disciples, and this is a Matthew, all the disciples deserted Jesus and they ran away. So there's a sense they all, no one stood by Jesus. So a part of what we have in the story, too, is we have John's response and reaction and some of his interaction with Jesus. And we have Peter being Peter saying, come on, man, Jesus, who is it? What's, what's going on? Tell us about it. <laughs> so, so you see these guys that are pretty true to their characters in the midst of all of this uh, as the story is told. So as we see, as Ron's pointed out, Jesus makes this declaration and he's troubled in spirit. Yet the very next, the thing he says now in verse 31, keep in mind, he's troubled in spirit, but now he's going to say, but now the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Here's that human side of Jesus who's stressed about, and since stressed about this, troubled in spirit, yet he realizes the movement is moving forward that God is going to be glorified. I appreciated one of the things that Brandon said in this in this section of the passage. He he points to this as the why behind the what. This is the purpose. The whole purpose of Jesus' life and ministry is that God is glorified, and and that's a good reminder for us as we look at this passage. It becomes pretty evident in this whole discourse from, you know, 13 through 17, because when when you get to 17 that we'll you know have in a subsequent session about that prayer, Jesus deals with some of the same thing about, you know, I've, I've been faithful to glorify the Father. Now the Father is glorifying me. Uh, so that, that certainly is, you know, is a truth that uh, Jesus' whole life was focused on bringing glory to the Father, and it was in doing so that the Father brought glory to him. So that mutual glorification uh, is all part of the, the wonderful story about what God was doing through Jesus and how Jesus and his obedience was being uh, responsible and responsive and obedient to the Father to accomplish his purpose. And it's it's all about all about God, uh, which is a, another truth, I think, that John makes evident throughout his gospel. I, I know it's a gospel, good news about salvation, but uh, so much of what John is focusing on is uplifting God. It is, it is pointing to Jesus as the revelation of God and uh, we uh, we 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 may sometimes just kind of uh, get lost in ourselves so much that mm-hmm. we lose focus that this whole this whole thing, the whole gospel story is about bringing glory to God. And I get to bring glory to God as I allow him to do his work of salvation in my life. Yes, I benefit from it, but ultimately my, my, my focus ought to be and my joy ought to be that in what God has done in me, he is the one who gets the glory. I think that's a game changer. And I think that sometimes 
what we miss in discipleship today. Uh, I, my hope is that the people in our groups and people who are having conversations around this passage uh, will be reminded, and there'll be some conversations about what it means for us as believers to live for God's glory, just like Jesus did. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, some of this will come out when you get to, to, to the verse about the new commandment. I, I think there's the, all of that is tied into why why am I to love others? And it's not just about me. It's it, again, it's about God. And I'm sure we'll talk about that in that. Sure. As we love others as we're called to, it draws attention to to Christ, the one who makes us brothers and sisters in Christ. Mm-hmm. And that ultimately brings glory to him. That is a I great motivation. That, yeah, that, it, it, that's that whole thing about this is a new commandment. You know, for, for us, most of the time when we're talking about something new, uh, we think of it in terms of, uh, you know, there not being anything like it. Well, the command to love one another was not new in that Jesus just, you know, said it for the first time. I mean, it's rooted in, in Leviticus about, about loving our neighbor. Uh, what makes it different, what makes it new, what gives it freshness is that Jesus is calling on his disciples to love one another, not because you have a legal obligation to do so, <laughs> but to love one another because you have you have been filled with the compassion of God, and it's something that you want to do and desire to do more than something that you have to do. Good point. So let me remind us, we're talking about living life connected to Christ. And with this, we've seen this, uh, really our own emphasis in this particular Bible study is our connection to Christ. It really calls for us to show consistent loyalty. You know, we examine our hearts like maybe the disciples did and say, okay, am I the one who's betraying Jesus? But our, our loyalty is seen in living for God's glory, even as Jesus did. But it also has to do with the love that we show that my loyalty, uh, my loyalty to God is put on display when I love others like he calls us. Let me just read that verse. This is verse 34 and verse 35. I give you a new command, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also to, are also to love one another. And by this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. So Jesus says that to us. He says, I want you to love one another. And again, like Ron said, and like you've alluded to, Lee, and this, it isn't like this is... They've never heard this before. And I I kept thinking as I was looking at this passage, you know, Jesus made this clear. This is what I want you to do. This is my command to you. Love each other. Um, And then he says for them uh, to love each other in the same way as he loved them. So at that moment, they had been living with walking with Jesus and, and they had experienced the love of God in a unique way. But because of what happens next in the story with Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross and resurrection, they are going to see what it means to love like Jesus how, in the same way that Jesus loved us in a whole different way. And that's a game changer uh, for the disciples and for us. Something else about this love, you know, things Jesus is calling for. Uh, for them, for his disciples to demonstrate their discipleship by loving one another. Jesus knows things are about to get tough 
for them. And subsequently, the Holy Spirit, and he, he's going to talk to them later about the Holy Spirit, is going to overwhelm them and give them strength and support and direction uh, for, for what they're about to face. But there is also something to be said for the support and strength that comes in difficult times by knowing that other people love me. Uh, and, and so I think maybe Jesus is, is, uh, is calling for that kind of love to be exhibited because he knows it's something that they're going to need to be able literally to survive what's going to roll out for them over the next few hours and then for the next uh, several days as they deal with their own uncertainties about what life holds for them. And the spirit will come upon them. Uh, but there is also, you know, that strength that comes by knowing I got a brother or I got a sister who loves me and, and who understands the kind of difficulty that I'm facing because he or she is facing it too. And because we're bound together in loyal love that comes from my loyalty to Christ, we find another source of strength to be able to, uh, to face what's coming. In the closing section of our personal study guides, we have the live it out section, which is a call for some practical ways we can live out this truth of uh, showing that consistent loyalty in our connection to Christ. Uh, let me just point out a couple of them. I thought these were really strong. One is to ask God to show you places in your heart where you might be disloyal to him. And just a call to repent, knowing he forgives. Uh, just checking our hearts to make sure that we are being fully loyal to him in all things. And the other one is this idea of being an encouragement uh, and, and uh, the value of somebody loving one another. And as we love one another, we encourage each other. Uh, Brandon had may even made this suggestion using social media uh, to post something about a brother or sister in Christ, not gossip, but posting something about them to share how they have loved you, how they have encouraged you and helped you. And I love that idea because as I post about how someone's encouraged me, that in turn encourages that brother or sister, but it encourages others to say, hey, I can do that too. Uh, there's a real strong call, I think, here as we in the Live It Out for us to show that love, show our loyalty to Christ and how we encourage each other. So I love the fact that Jesus said to us, um, love each other in the same way I've loved you. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. And, and I, my hope is that the church and that our groups will come to understand that there should be people on the outside looking in who are going, oh, man, look at how they love each other. Uh, one of the discussion questions that we ask is, uh, what are some ways our church has known uh, for being a loving church. Uh, does the community understand that there's something unique about us because of how we love each other? I think that's what Jesus wants us to get and understand and to display um, in our walk with him. And, and we live in a world where, boy, if that's ever needed, it's now because we live in such a divided world, whether we're talking about the world or the nation or our communities, or even sometimes our churches, where there is so much division that takes place. And so this call to love one another, and to love as Christ loved, and to love as 
uh, evidence or proof of discipleship is uh, one of the most relevant messages that that uh, that we could talk about uh, because of uh, such great need. Well, my hope is that as our groups gather to talk about this passage, that uh, there will be a connection to it and that we will look for those examples and, and that our groups will be challenged um, to um, make to be intentional about showing um, the world uh, what love looks like by how we love each other um, as the church and as groups. You know, we're pretty prone to uh, to talk about love in terms of uh, it being a, a noun. Uh, an emotion, uh, rather than love being a verb, an action. And so, you know, as we talk in our groups, that can be one difference that that we can point out is, okay, we're not talking about how we feel about each other. We're talking about how we act toward each other. And and the action will give evidence that the feeling is, is not only there, it's real, uh, and that uh, it does have a significance to the way one lives life. Ron, thank you for your insights. Uh, as you do each week in your commentary that's in the Herschel Hobbs commentary, you also, you, you have a way of just really helping us understand the biblical text. And I appreciate that about your, your writing. Thank you very much. I, it's, as I've expressed before, it's a joy for me to be able to do it. Well, that's awesome. Ron, one of the things that Lynn did for me uh, is he sent me a copy of, uh, of the Hobbes commentary to, to, to review in preparation for our conversation. And a couple of things stood out to me. One is that uh, each section um, begins with a list of questions. So I, wanna, I want you to tell us a little bit how that evolves and how that works uh, for you. But then each session ends with, uh, uh, with the statement. Let me find it here. Uh, what are some lasting truths about this passage as a way of concluding the works? So I, I just think that's genius. Well, I mean, I can't take credit for that. And frankly, I don't remember when we added that. <laughs> uh, if, if you go back to, uh, if you go back to the very beginning of studying adult life and work lessons, which was you know, when Dr. Hobbs first started writing this thing, he, he always had some, kind of life application statements to it. He did a lot of uh, illustrations uh, that uh, uh, would try to imp- give, you know, give some meaning, life meaning to the point. And so somewhere in there, and it was, I'm really thinking that it was after Dr. Hobbs' death that uh, uh, the, the questions were added before the scripture to try to uh, to try to help the learner focus on content. And then those lasting truths or lasting lesson statements were there to try to give them some relevance. So it was a way of taking commentary exposition and giving the, the, the reader something to focus on. What do I look for as I study this? And then at the end, okay, what does this mean? Uh, for me, I, I've got the I've got the knowledge, I've got the information. So where where are some truths that come out of it? And uh, as I say, I can't take credit for that. It's been going on for a long time, and I I was there, but I don't re- really remember uh, just how that uh, how that evolution took place. So the the, the summary are, is essentially application. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. How how can I apply this to my life? That's yeah. awesome. 
Thank you, Ron. And thanks, Chris. I appreciate the conversation we've had this morning. And as we're wrapping up this podcast, let me just add this note. I hope that you have a great discussion, a great Bible study as you're with your group this week. I'll let you.